Welcome to the Unforgiving 60 with your hosts, Ben Pronk and Tim Curtis. As two ex-SAS guys armed with MBAs, Ben and Tim seek out people leading lives less ordinary and talk with them about how they fill their unforgiving minutes and what helps them go always a little further. Like intellectual bowerbirds, we aim to collect shiny little objects of knowledge that we think can help build better humans. Philosophically, what's the difference between fitness and toughness? It's what's between your ears. Sure, the tough people have to be fit, but if the fit people aren't tough, they're not going to make it through. Good as Gold, the official Gold's Gym Australia podcast. Welcome back to another episode of the Good as Gold podcast. I'm your host, Callum, alongside Emily, of course. Aloha. Today, we have... An amazing episode on resilience, being resilient. What is resilience? Yes, we have the fabulous Tim and Ben from the Resilience Shield. These guys talk to us today on honestly all things being resilient, how to be resilient, how our kids can be resilient. There's so much juice in this episode that you guys literally don't want to miss out on. And the cool thing is, is like all the stuff they said was backed by science like everything has had like a clinical trial yep everything is backed by psychological uh i guess like tests and it's a good it challenged me Mm, yes there were some things in there that we can all take away from and, and actually really implement into our life so without further ado yeah proudly supported by raw energy cafe partner with gold's gym australia Alrighty, tim and ben welcome to the good as gold podcast Tell the people who you are in a snapshot. Two XSAS guys with MBAs. We nearly speak for each other. Our biographical details are nearly identical. Both born in Queensland. Both uh, scholarship to the Australian Defence Force Academy. Both graduated from the Royal Military College up to Townsville where we did our formative years. Then did SAS selection at different times, mind you. I'm, I'm a sort of half generation ahead of Ben. Um, and then saw the majority of our military service in the SAS regiment. Mm. Um, And then kind of my path diverged a bit. I spent the next 10 years in the Middle East um, working for the UN as a consultant and then uh, running a group of multinational companies and then came back home in 2014, which is where we reunited. Yeah, unlike Tim, I couldn't get a proper job, so I stayed in the (laughs) army. I I loved my... My military career, I stayed in um, a little bit longer. So Tim was my second boss in the, the SAS regiment. Um, the best. The best. Of I, the two. I like to joke out of the, the three bosses I had, Tim was absolutely one of them. Um, <laughs> so we had that time together, um, a, a year or so together. Uh, I then stayed in the unit, um, ended up as the commanding officer, which was awesome. I, I had a really amazing military career, very lucky in terms of a lot of different things. Uh, and then as I was looking to get out, that was that sort of serendipitous uh, meeting up. Tim had just come back from the Middle East. Um, I was probably thinking of jumping into a big corporate or something like that. Tim said, why don't we start this thing together? Yeah. And um, don't tell him, but I will, will forever be thankful. It's been brilliant. Wow. And where along that whole timeline did you guys meet? 
so we actually met in 2002 at a mutual friend's wedding. Uh, I knew I was going to be Ben's squadron commander the next year. And then we kind of spent 2003 um, in that, I mean, let's call it master-slave relationship, Ben. Uh, you know, I, I thought you were going to say sort of Yoda, Skywalker. <laughs> yeah, <that's laughs> and then we, then we stayed in touch. Yeah. You know, we probably in many ways kindred spirits. Um, I'd done my MBA Ben was doing his MBA, so we kind of reconnected on that basis. We were both mad CrossFitters, and so we used to, you know, watch each other's performance at the CrossFit Open, um, and yeah, reconnected when we came back more socially than anything else. Mm. You know, talking MBAs and study, yeah. and yeah, um, and you know, we kicked off our little venture here in 2018, and it's just been yeah, it's been an amazing nearly five years for us. Yeah, so cool. And is it, would you say it's 50% banter, 50% work? <laughs> yeah, how much work is getting done here, boys? <laughs> What's the ratio? <laughs> well, I, I, I do think, I mean, the, the litmus test is, um, well, I certainly, I don't ever feel that sort of dread, oh, shit, I've got to go to yeah. work type thing. It, it A massive part of uh, what I enjoy about it is the people we get to work with. And, and clearly, you know, uh, Tim and I get along, but we've had the real, um, I think, joy of building this little team around us that we like working with. Um, the the work is super interesting, so we generally get more or less to choose the the clients we want to work mm. with. So, um, yeah, maybe eighty percent better, twenty percent. Okay, that's perfect. And philosophically, we, yeah. I mean, philosophically, we believe that you know the day you're not leaping out of bed to go to work is the day you should change 100%. your profession. Yeah. Um, and we did a body of work really early on um, in the genesis of this company where we delivered this work to a client. They were super happy. It was about two in the afternoon. We thought, hey, let's go and quickly debrief what were the things that went well, what could be improved. We did that in a bar and sort of Ben looking into his pint glass said, how can our lives get better? Yeah. And that's now that's now coded in our manifesto, yeah. which is our version of the staff handbook. And we ask that question a lot. Yeah. Will this make our lives yes. better? Not more money, not yeah. more staff, so not a bigger good. office, but you know, that that nearly intangible question of will it make our lives better? Oh, it's so good. And like even just speaking to you guys already, you, you can just tell that you guys have such a, a big connection towards each other and it's actually just so cool to see because yeah. Cal and I work together and it's like it's just like having a friend um, right next to you being able to do business with you and life with you it's actually so special hey it is it's funny and I mean you know the parallels are there to a marriage I guess <laughs> uh, in terms of you know it's not all excellent and and you know there's there's bumps but gee I, I in fact in both my marriage and and the business partnership I actively um, try to take that helicopter view and say, this is pretty good. You know, if you are thinking of having a little go about something, yep. you know, check yourself because uh, to Tim's point, you know, what, how is that going to make it better? And particularly, I mean, part of this, I'm, I hope we'll talk about sort of resilience and of stuff. Uh, part of that journey for me has been um, this sort of uh, checking of the ego and, and kind of working out, you know, what's really important and, and what's just um, mm. pride or point scoring. And there's a few of those things, I reckon, in any relationship that you see people just ride them into the into the deck. You know, they, yeah. they yeah. stick onto something for, for no real point. They're, they're not able to sort of meet halfway and recognise how good they've got it. And that's certainly something I hope to do, in, like I said, in both my marriage and my, um, and my, my partnership with Tim. Yeah, I think that's so cool. And before we do get into kind of that resilience shield and, and speaking on that, I want to ask you guys, 
you know, you guys both come from military backgrounds um, and, and family uh, in, in military. What was kind of like your childhood growing up before you knew you were kind of going to get into the military? For me, um, I was always going to join the army. I was that little, I was actually a fat kid. So I was that little fat kid <laughs> mm. that would dress up in army gear. And um, I'd, I'd just seen how much dad had enjoyed it. Uh, he was a helicopter pilot and he had these just amazing sort of stories. So he just missed out on Vietnam, which is a little different to, to Tim's dad who had served. Um, but he'd finished flight school as as Australia was, was sort of ceasing its involvement in Vietnam. So he hadn't deployed operationally, but he'd done these incredible sort of, you know, mapping survey trips of Papua New Guinea mm. and North Queensland, North Australia. And he'd, he'd sort of done a lot of work with Les Hiddens, the Bush Tucker man, in terms of that sort of survival stuff. And yeah. so these incredible stories of flying and, and just... Um, it, the experiential stuff that you, I figured you couldn't get in in any other job. And so I, I was sort of wet on that. So I think for me, it was a, a pretty linear path. And yeah, so my father spent 35 years in the military. So oh. I was an army brat as well. <laughs> and he was, like Ben, also the commanding officer of the SAS regiment. Mm. And so in my formative years, I was running, you know, no shirt, no shoes around the SAS barracks. <laughs> They were building this counter-terrorist capability. So all of these assaulters were practicing taking down houses in the neighborhood that were full of terrorists. And yeah, I think I think that just, it just sears into your memory. Yeah. I always thought a bit like Ben, I want to join the army. Yeah. I had some wayward thoughts about being a lawyer, being a teacher, doing other things. But ultimately, yeah, that that's the path that I chose. Mm. And, and even when I joined the army and you go out into pasture in a light infantry battalion, you need to spend three, maybe four years mm. in the system before you can apply for SAS selection. In those three to four years, I was really yearning to do selection to be part of the SAS regiment. Did you ever feel like you, was there ever a part of you that were like, well, like, you know, both of your dads ha have grown up in that um, or you've grown up in that with your, with your um, fathers. Did you ever think that, you know, oh, like, did you ever feel forced to kind of get into that? Not at all. Yeah. And I mean, my brother, who <laughs> also ended up in the the army um, or as a doctor, uh, he took a much more circuitous route. He he was the person least likely to to join the army mm. as a, a teenager. Um, I was the the fat kid dressing up in cams. He was the little punk skateboarder <laughs> with the kind of three quarter length shorts and the spray painting the the sort of um, the the murals around town. So. <laughs> There was no, there was definitely no pressure. Yeah. Um, and it was kind of funny, you know, like any organisation, it's a generational cyclical yeah. thing. Yeah. I remember as I was getting in the army, dad was getting out and he was by no means bitter. He'd had a wonderful career, but he very much was, uh, you know, I remember him saying, oh, this, this isn't the army I've joined. You know, the, the sort of fun police have come in mm. and things have changed and it's not as yeah. kind of, um, I guess, independent and, and, and all that sort of stuff. And, and I remember at the start thinking, that's crazy. This is awesome. This yeah. is such a cool environment. Yeah. You're, you're bonkers. And then, you know, clearly as I was getting out, I was thinking, oh, it's different to when I joined. So there is that generational thing. But mm. uh, no no uh, pressure from, mm. from dad either way. You know, he'd enjoyed it and, and he was happy clearly for us to follow. But, um, yeah, equally he, he would have been happy, I think, if, if we'd done anything. We, mm. I, I was very lucky. I think Tim was as well. Very incredibly supportive parents. Yeah. yeah, and also no pressure from the one-star general. Um, <laughs> he he always said, you forge your own path. The only yeah. thing I want you not to compromise are your morals and your principles, and that's really stuck with me Damn. throughout my I've got goosebumps. Life. That's strong. That's strong. I like that a lot. Here tomorrow.
Okay, so you guys founded the Resilient Shield. Um, tell us a bit about that. What's the? What would you say is the 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 crux of the Resilient Shield? It very much came about um, from our own experiences and our experiences in uniform. So we'd seen our colleagues uh, sort of being exposed to all sorts of different stressors, including in in combat, mm. and having these really different sort of reactions, and that struck us as a bit strange you know on on paper i mean we were kind of identical humans we kind of looked the same we'd been selected for the same stuff we had the same training all that sort of thing and yet um people reacted quite differently Mm. in in the moment under under extreme pressure like combat Mm. and then in in the days weeks months years that that followed and and so that sort of piqued our interest that there's got to be something to this thing uh the this resilience concept and then I think in particular, the, um, my brother, uh, Dr. Dan Pronk, the co-author of the book and mm-hmm. co-founder of the, the methodology, um, he had his own experiences with post-traumatic stress symptoms. Um, he, uh, as a doctor, had some, some really harrowing experiences on the battlefield, uh, including one um, rotation, one tour, where three of his mates were, were injured um, while fighting, all three of them. Uh, he, he rushed to their side and applied first aid, and and none of them um, was he actually able to save. They they mm. essentially died in his arms, um, and so that obviously shook him. But the the strange thing with that is it didn't manifest for a number of years. In fact, it didn't manifest until he was out of the army, um, living in this tropical paradise in North Queensland, in a civilian job in a hospital, earning mm. I think exactly twice as much as he'd earned in the army. Just welcomed his third child to the the world. Mm. No one was shooting him or trying to, to mm. blow him up. Yeah. And yet this was when the the sort of some of the symptoms started to come on. And again, this got us very interested in how this whole mechanism worked. Yeah. And importantly, how we could get proactive. Like it yeah. seemed a lot of the the research and the attention on resilience was only ever sort of um, implemented after people were having these negative stress events. And we thought, well, why can't we to, to use Marcus Aurelius, the famous Roman, Roman Stoics phrase, why can't we get active in our own rescue? Why can't we get proactive in yes. developing um, some tools and mechanisms that could stop us from, from having that negative stress event? Mm. Yeah, it's, it's, it, what, what exactly would you describe resilience as? And, and what does it look like to mm. you both? Yeah, yeah th- this is where you start when you write a book on it. <laughs> and in many ways, we were fortunate. Ben and Dan had a discussion over eggs Benedict, I think, (laughs) you know, on what does a model look like? You know, is it a 220 kilo deadlift? Is it doing yoga or having great mates or not sucking at your job? And our theory was, well, it's kind of all of those things. Mm. But at the outset, what do you do? You try and get a definition on resilience. And there were three schools of thought. The first academic school of thought was you need to have this thing called resilience before you enter a stress event. Mm. Well, that made no sense because mm. we'd already seen how people in high-pressure situations performed completely different, mm. even though they looked identical. They'd been through the same training. They followed the same doctrine and procedures. The second school of thought was, no, 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 no. You get resilience from coming through a stress event. Mm. Now, mm. in many ways, that made no sense at all. Why, why am I waiting for a stress event to build resilience? Yeah. And then the third school of thought was the bit from both sides. But the definition that we settled on was actually with our research partner, the University of Western Australia, Dr. Lise Notabart, herself a psychologist. And she introduced this definition that resilience is a better than expected outcome given the adversity faced. That's brilliant. 
you yeah. can have everything taken away from you, you know, professionally, your health, your social life, you know, your marriage, your kids. You know, you can be confronted with the most chronic of adversity, but if you have a better than expected result, mm. yeah. then you would define as being resilient. And so we then entered into what are the components of, of resilience? Mm. And this was the, you know, like it couldn't just be that physical fitness and the mental toughness because we'd kind of seen people with both those things fall apart. Um, and so we did this literature review and we, we looked at our own anecdotal experiences and we developed a model that had these six, what we call the layers of, of resilience. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and an eight layer, nature and nurture, genetics and epigenetics, the stuff inside us, a mind layer, all the spiritual and psychological components that, that help you you get through mm-hmm. uh, a body layer, physiological aspects, essentially sleep, diet, and exercise, social layer, social support, professional, mm-hmm. what you get from mm-hmm. what you do on a day-to-day basis. And then um, we added a, a layer called adaptation, the ability to transfer resilience you might have developed in one domain to, to the unexpected yeah. or the novel challenge. And so we figured these six things were, were probably um, the, the components uh, of resilience, but it was really important to us that we validated this. Yeah. Um, the last thing we wanted was another sort of book. I used to be a tough guy in the army, therefore this is how you should yeah. get resilience. Yes. Um, a, because we didn't we didn't think we were tough guys, and we'd seen <laughs> a lot of tough guys having resilience yes. challenges. Yeah. Uh, and B, because we we actually were interested in in it for ourselves, and we wanted to have that scientific validation. And so we applied for and won a, a federal government research grant, uh, which allowed us to, to do this research in conjunction with um, Lise, Dr. Dr. Lise Notabart. And um, essentially, we, we published the results last month Yeah, yeah, in a, a peer-reviewed um, journal article. Mm. And, and the bottom line is that those six layers do each contribute independently yeah. and in a statistically significant fashion towards overall resilience. Bottom line is you need all of those things. They all contribute. And um, while they interrelate... Um, you can't just pull one out and, and expect to have a complete uh, sort of resilience shield in our parlance. Yeah. And, I mean, going through what I would call is like, I think when you talk about SAS, I think resilience is 100%. like, it's a hardcore place. And, and how yeah. much of your life experience went into what you've you've built, like from mm. your own, let's say, quote unquote, resilience um, that you've experienced throughout life? How much did that go into... Um, yeah, the resilient shield. Mm. A, a massive amount, yeah. but I- ignorantly so. It's not until we did the research yeah. did it kind of That's all good, make yeah. sense. And one little example, so SAS selection course, I know Mark Wales has spoken on a previous episode about this, largely goes for 21 days. Yeah. On day one, there's about 150 candidates. They are supremely fit, guys and girls alike like something off the front cover of a fitness magazine. But by by day two, three, maybe four, all of the really fit people have withdrawn themselves. Mm -hmm. And at the conclusion of the course, the tough ones remain. And so philosophically, what's the difference between fitness and toughness? It's what's between your ears. Mm. Sure, the tough people have to be fit, but if the fit people aren't tough, they're not going to make it through. And so, you know, our first truly modifiable layer is the mind layer. You can't do much about that baseline layer of, mm. of innate resilience. You, know, you sit there with some of that right now, but it's not particularly modifiable. Mm. And so Ben has a wonderful line. He talks about the mind layer being the first amongst equals because that mindset component 
is what does drive you to go a little further. And ultimately, when you're carrying what you think are unbelievably ridiculous loads or being asked to do things that is unfathomable, it's the mind that gets you through. The body just follows what the mind wants to do. Absolutely. And we actually, um, we took your resilience (laughs) test online. (laughs) Awesome. And... Look, I got 78% resilience and I'm I'm Ooh. I'm happy with that. Like I was quite I I That's was strong. Okay, thank you, boys. And Callum Callum wasn't happy with I, his I Cal was, share. I was salty. I I honored answer like <laughs> I answered honestly. I got 60%. Cute. Um so 60% and pretty much almost equal across the boards across the mind body um work. Yeah. side of things and I said to Em I was like I got 60 are you kidding like <laughs> I thought not I'm a tough guy but I thought I was a pretty resilient bastard yeah. but can you I mean elaborate yep. at all I know yep. you can't break we, down my score necessarily <laughs> tell us how resilient we are <laughs> should I redo it in life no <laughs> we, okay. no well yeah yeah if, if, if you want to feel good then, yeah then exactly game the, game the test um, and like any self-administered test there's, there's that sort of um, potential for error um, we've wrestled with how we present these results. Um, the first thing that we want everyone to understand is that in a bell curve, not you know, ninety percent of people can't be above fifty percent median. You know, it's, yeah. statistically doesn't work like that. And so, um, particularly the shape of this bell curve in terms of our responses, sixty percent is actually right up the. You know, if you look at all the responses left of that, yeah. um, you know, it is well and truly um, above average. Mm. The, the point, though, is that there is so much variance in terms of how people answer and how people interpret questions yeah. and all exactly. that sort of stuff. We, we offer that the, the bigger value is looking in terms of the differences in between your own individual layers because there is variance uh, um, both in, in terms of how people answer the questions but also in terms of people's own perspectives of mm. resilience. So it's almost um, counterproductive comparing scores, even though mm-hmm. we, we are aware we give you a score that compares you against yeah. the population. Um, so we really stress to people, don't get hung up. You know, on the number. Don't hang up your, your, your sort of boots on the, the fact you've got a great <laughs> 78 is a great score um, in, in terms of the percentages. But have a look more about what it means to you. And if, if Callum, if you're pretty even across the, um, the, the layers, yeah. Kudos. I mean, mm. that that to me, I'd take that as a as a much, okay. uh, I guess, <laughs> a, a better sort of result than than any sort of number in the the overall school. Yeah, and you know, seventy eight percent kudos to you, Emily. Sixty percent kudos to you, Callum. Whoever got twenty percent kudos to you. That, yeah, that's not yeah. a competition. Exactly. Re- yeah. Resilience. Resilience is a lifelong individual endeavour, and mm-hmm. your ninety nine percent can go to forty eight percent in the space yeah. of twelve months if you exactly. have a whole heap of things taken from you. I'm just looking at your body language. You know exactly. It's not a competition, but Emily is sitting <laughs> yeah. like, um, Anyway, yeah. yep. it's been not a competition. Yeah. Yeah. But She's I got won. A hands behind her head. <laughs> Yeah. No, I actually. I beat you, Callum. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. Before, like, honestly. It's not the first time she's belittled me. (laughs) (laughs) I'm kidding. If Um, it's any consolation, I think last time I did it, I'm about 68 or something. All right. It's, it's, yeah, it's. Comparison, here we go. We're like, don't compare, but everyone, let's say our scores. (laughs) It's. It would be interesting to find the person who's at 99%. And actually, I mean. Is it possible to be, like, not possible in a sense that I'm sure it is but like if you could answer the questions in a certain way to get to just 99% yeah 
you could game it yeah. for sure. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and that's to Ben's point. Yeah. The idea of the resilient survey is not to answer aspirationally, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's and not to, to answer, answer in a way that oh yeah, no. Yesterday I had yes. fruit and vegetables uh, and slept well. Yeah, yeah. yeah in the yeah, aggregate, yeah, yeah. in the aggregate, yeah. what are the behaviours, the habits that you absolutely yeah. do all of the time? Yeah. yeah. Um, and and so yeah, you could you could game it, but it's not going to be helpful. No, it's not. The idea yeah, no. is to be honest. Yeah, when considering when considering um, resilience, like where do I start? Mm. That's the whole idea. And it yeah. was Ben's, Ben's brainchild. This survey, which is administered by the University of Western Australia, it's free, it's private, it's confidential. Mm. And if you want to do it, mm. resilientshield.com, Follow the link. Yes. It gives you that breakdown of your overall resilience. Definitely cool. But to more see. importantly. Mm. Yeah, the score of, of each of your layers. Mm. So don't don't do things heroically to make changes. Yeah. Just identify, okay, well where am I weak? Where am I vulnerable? Mm. How do I bolster that layer in thing doing things that are more sustainable, yeah. that that aren't faddish, that aren't gimmicky, just make a little contribution every day. And then more broadly, zoom out. Make a contribution every day to every layer. Yeah. Mm. You know, yeah, try and sleep better, eat better, do some mm. exercise, mm. try and stay connected with friends, family colleagues yeah you know try and work on your mindset insofar as that might be possible by kind of recoding activities do some meditation and mindfulness yeah and you know in your professional layer do things that improve that yeah and last but not least you know our bonus layer is that adaptation layer find a meaningful challenge yeah something mm. that is going to take you out of your comfort zone perhaps select something you don't really like doing mm. because the adaptation layer is what's going to allow us to do things that we never thought were possible, yep. to confront the unknown and the unknowable, you know, to to get rid of all of the zombies when they descend upon us <laughs> yeah. armed with nothing more than what you have right now. Mm. Is that why you think resilience, having resilience is so important to every everyday humans? Yeah, I, one of the really interesting things we did early in the piece and, and I, in one of the early chapters we talk about this concept of happiness. And I do think that so much of even just the tools to improve, for example, say your mind layer. So meditation was something Tim and I came to very late in the piece, something we both derived a lot of joy from. And while that sort of builds our resilience, it also builds our happiness and contentedness. Mm. Um, Likewise, gratitude practices and being in the moment, noticing small things, you know, enjoying this conversation and yeah. not thinking, oh, shit, I've got to do X, Y, Z afterwards. Yeah. Um, all of those are resilience-building tools, but they also make your life that much better in the moment. And so I, I think that concept, is, as Tim mentioned, all those little choose your challenge, choose your struggle, achieve little incremental goals mm. and enjoy the journey, you know, that's, to me, an equal definition of resilience and happiness. And, and I, I think there's that really strong relationship um, between them. Mm. And the errors and failure too. I mean, mm, yes. people are so worried about, yeah. about failing. Oh, totally. error or failing. You know, we're living in this society. I, I look at it with my kids. They want to be instant experts. Yeah. Yes. Well, there is no such thing as an instant expert. You know, anyone who's a virtuoso or a master in their field didn't sit, sit down and become an expert in an hour, yep. you know, to coin the Anders Ericsson. They spent the 10,000 hours in increments of 30 minutes, one 
hour. They, they changed their habits, built those good routines and were consistent. So that's kind of the, the key to this is what can you do consistently mm. yeah. every day to contribute to your resilience, to, to build you into being a better human, but importantly, make you a better father, mother, yes. uncle, leader, yeah. friend. Do you, do you think uh, resilience is a term that's like just thrown around super lightly, like in, in both profe- professional senses and personal senses? Like, like is it just a buzzword yeah, like that people like, are? Oh, you've got to be resilient. You've got to be more resilient. Like I hear that all the time now, but like what does that truly mean? And, and I mean... Yeah, well, it, I mean... You go, you go, you go, if you got on. No, I was going to say um, we, we do too. And mm. I mean, given that's our business, we're not that... We're not that upset by the fact that it's it's kind of yeah, a, exactly. a topical it's a, yeah. sort of um, yeah yeah, but I, I don't know whether it's thrown around lightly. I think there is definitely um, a lot of uh, an increased um, sort of awareness of its importance, and I think yeah. you know a global pandemic has sharpened people's attention to the fact that you know we we have got a lot of pressure in our lives yeah. and. You know, it's always been that way, but but I think we're focusing on it now. Um, I think it's probably, uh, I was going to say poorly defined, but but it probably can mean a that's, lot of different things to a lot of different people. Yeah, I think that's um, And what we did, yeah, and what we did try and do with our definition and, and our model is is get as holistic yes. uh, a, an approach to it as, as we could. And I think like it, it just makes sense what you're saying. It just makes sense. It's not something where it's really hard for me to understand what resilience is or how I can continue or it, it become more resilient. It's actually like it, although it's not easy, it is easy because it's just something that's just like you boys have said it's just so perfectly. It just makes so much sense. Yeah, you can actually pull it in. And I remember when I did that question and it got to like the family, yeah, like the friends and family one, I was like, thinking what does this have to do with resilience like mm. and it answered it and it was one it was like do you have a family member you can talk to yeah. and i like i couldn't yeah. i couldn't actually agree with it because i don't have mm. someone i have yeah. a loved one sure but like i don't have a tight connection with my family at all and i was like ah what the heck like yeah. man what has this got to do with me being resilient <laughs> and it's it is yeah, funny yeah. now that you've said those like kind of foundational block points that it isn't just you got to be the biggest toughest baddest mother you know <laughs> yeah. you know like around yeah. in the room it's um this was why it was important for us to have that that science underneath it and yeah. and you know the the science does say that that human connections and whether they're family friends significant others but you know where you can be vulnerable in front of someone and you can tell them you know sort of you open your heart to them that that is important and and the one like i said we we sort of stumbled into meditation through this i think if you'd asked us 10 years ago oh you know why don't you try meditating Mm. Uh, I, I joke that my mind would have gone straight to sort of hippies and mung beans. And yes, yeah. yes. About the most anti-SAS thing I could have thought of. Yeah. But again, looking at it in the through the prism of the research, this is gym training for your brain. Yeah. I mean, yeah. this allows you to make better decisions under pressure. It actually rewires your brain to overcome the, the amygdala response, the fight or flight type response. It's absolutely the best thing you should be doing yeah. if you're looking at being a decision maker or a leader in combat. Yeah. Um, and so the the science has been a real uh, eye opener for us, and and um, has introduced us to concepts like meditation and gratitude, which I think would have seen inaccessible, or maybe they've got a bit of a PR problem amongst <laughs> a 
Australian males or whatever. Mm. Um, but that for us has been a great lens to make sense of some of these things that have really subsequently helped us personally and, and do help others. Yeah, and, and I, one of the fascinating things, Callum, on, your, on the social part, yep. that psychosocial layer, it's just anchored in some fascinating research and without boring you senseless on it, <laughs> sure, we want people to be there for us and yes. we want to be there for others. But, you know, out of Harvard, there's a body of work by a gentleman called Dr. David McClelland who worked out that 95% of our success in life is attributed to who we hang out with. Yeah. And, you know, more colloquially, people have picked up on that. You know, show me your friends and I'll show you your future or you're the sum of the five people you hang around. But, But there's research saying that who is in your social layer? Yeah absolutely move the needle 100%. on how successful you are yes which therefore logically also moves the needle on your happiness whether you're you know flourishing or not yeah mm. and I love I love that and something that I um, live by is like how I do one thing is how I do everything and I just believe that like it's mm. it's so cool because how you do one thing or, or the social circles that you're in actually impacts so many other things over here as well mm-hmm. it's um and there's, I mean, again, there's research behind this. Um, so a lady called Angela Duckworth who wrote a book called Grit, which is a great read on, on aspects of mm. resilience. But she talks about the transferability. There's a thing called the Glick study talking about the transferability. So it's exactly what you said, Emily. If you st- are able to stick with, I don't know, carrying your shopping bags to your car instead of putting them in a trolley, yeah. you know, that is absolutely setting you up to then you know, stay through high school, which is absolutely setting you up to yeah, stick like it out through blocks. a tough job, which yeah. absolutely helps you exactly. sort of extend your marriage. You know, there's all these statistics that, that show the transferability of these things. And that, that folksy wisdom you just espoused, mm. the way you do one thing is the way you do everything. Yeah. It's, a, it's a cool way of looking at these tiny little challenges we get presented with every single day. Yeah. Which comes back to that question, can you train mindset? Well, Ben's just rattle off yeah. eight things you can do that sound physical but they're absolutely trying to answer. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. on the you know uh, the the um meditation and kind of like when when we meditate to clear our mind um you know there's a lot of anxiety and stress and and all of these things that happen in our everyday day life how do you think stress affects being resilient mm. uh, well it's necessary in our life if we didn't have stress we'd be amoebas you know we, <laughs> we're pretty pathetic the human being we you know i'm going to paraphrase some of ben's stuff here but we don't have armor, we don't have claws, we don't have yeah. poison, we can't run very fast. So stress has enabled us to get to the top of the food chain, largely because we're incentivized by neurochemistry to collaborate mm. at large scale. There's no other animal on the planet that mm. does that. But there's um, uh, Yerkes and Dodson, two academics, looked at performance and stress. If you think about the time that you've performed the best in your life, doesn't matter whether it's physical, academic, in your family life, um, there undoubtedly will be a stressor or stressors involved. Mm. Let me rephrase that. 
think of the time you were proudest of your achievement, nearly guarantee there were stressors. Mm. Might have been time pressure, mm. scrutiny from your boss. There could have been fear, pain, or the risk of those two things. Mm. So the short version is stress is necessary. Yep. We want to embrace the stress. I mean, putting it into the gold, Gold's Gym model, if you went to the gym and lay under the bench press and always push the same weight, nothing would happen. Yep. Mm. You would get to that point where your body's adapted and, and you're just not going to get any gains. But if you constantly increase the load, then you get the improvement. And that is true regardless of how we apply stress in our life, um, regardless of whether it's a, a mental stress or mm. something that we're un, uh, unfamiliar with or uncomfortable with, whether it's a fear, and I'm talking an irrational fear. Yep. How do you overcome an irrational fear? Well, you confront it mm. in a very measured, careful way. And in doing that, you are naturally building uh, the stock of resilience, but embracing the stress in order to do it. It's like mm. progressively overloading the mind. Literally. That's cool. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 I mean, and, and we're going to be cautious about that. If we were to zoom out and look back to the 1980s, life was much simple in terms of the amount of information we consumed there. Yeah. Uh, and there's research out of the University of California, Los Angeles, that says we we now consume 34 gigabytes a day of information, you know, the equivalent of reading oh, a 100,000 word book. But we don't have the purge valves. Our, our brain is very old. It hasn't adapted to be able to consume yes. that level of information. Mm. And that's why we're starting to see issues with people not able to process yes. it. But more importantly, not able to flush the nonsense from their brain. Enter meditation and mindfulness. Yep. Uh, outside of sleep, which is critically important to, to flush the nonsense and to sort of defrag or take out the trash, empty the cache, meditation and mindfulness is also something that we can embrace that enables us to, to defrag, take out the trash, empty the cache, to flush the, the crud from our brain. Man, that's Wait. good stuff. I've, I was just thinking then I had had to process my answer that like it's still umming and ohhing in my head but it made me think because that family side of thing stumped me that I was like oh why is this in this here mm. not growing up with a dad in my life but having and a single parent I thought I had to like I had to grow up really really quick and I've just recently had a daughter um, and it's making me think like man I was I thought I was resilient because I was young yeah. I had to grow up really really yeah. fast right because yeah. I had to do like the dad of the house for mm. my family. And now thinking about my daughter, I'm like, all right, so now I'm her father and you guys having pivotal fatherly roles being mm. in the SAS, fostering an environment where resilient can be taught at a young age or not even taught, but like, like you're saying, it's like you're just in the Modern. environment, you know? What does that look like? It, uh, it's a really good question and it, it's a really important question. Um, a lot of... The, the research on sort of the innate aspects of resilience do look at those massive periods of what they call neuroplasticity. So when our brain's changing, it's typically as a toddler and an, as an adolescent, um, where our brains are neuroplastic throughout our lives, but those big periods of change. Um, and there's some really interesting research. In fact, we just interviewed uh, Dr. Justine Glick, who who was the, the author of this research about the physical differences in uh, people's brains who'd suffered what she calls ELS, early lifehood stress. So mm. if um, kids are exposed to measured stress, mm -hmm. like you know your progressive overload example, um, then they develop 
stronger brains. They physically have different parts of their brains mm. are, are um, better formed. And these are the regions that deal with things like emotional regulation and mood control and that sort of thing. So the the first thing, and, and we've joked before on podcasts, I'm a little bit of a helicopter parent. <laughs> I sort of don't want my kids uh, to, to get exposed to too much. And I, that's not doing them any favours. We do need to let them... Uh, sort of have that exposure to mm. wrestle with stressors, to deal with things, to work yeah. things out. Yes. Um, just like you would have done, Callum, in your, your growing up early, um, probably not by choice, but you know, you, you were in a position where you were faced with these stressors and it sounds like you had the tools and the ability to, to process and get through them. Mm. Mm. I bet you have a very well-developed parietal lobe or whatever. <laughs> the, you know what I mean? Like a, you, you've developed yeah. those resilient Smart. skills as a result. And and so we don't want to um, we don't want to, to wrap our kids in cotton wool too much, and no. so that that's a big part of it. I think the second part is modelling those behaviours. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. To you know, Tim's kids are growing up, seeing him meditate twice a totally. day. Totally, so good. That's just a thing you do. And like you know, your parents always suck and say you're not going to go straight to that straight away. But you know, if they're seeing you exercise, if they're seeing you prioritise sleep, if they're seeing you, you know, just take it easy on booze and eat mm. semi decently and recognise that these things are helping in that that well being, that resilience side. Um, that white noise in the background is massive. Mm. Yes. And can you camouflage? you know, some of these resilience practices from your kids? Mm. Absolutely. Mm. Indeed, for those that are planning kids, you can start at pre-zero. I mean, just be healthy about what you do. That's going to improve yeah. your chances of conception. Um, and, you know, when the child's in the womb, yeah. remove the, you know, your access to toxins, eat real foods and so on and so forth. And, you know, from that zero to 18, there's some fascinating research about the gut microbiome, which is crucially important for our mood for our heart rate and a range of other things including including our immune system mm. eat snails eat dirt you know that, that's what we want our kids to do to be exposed to those yeah. bacteria. Yeah. and then really from 18 it's it's about enabling them opportunity uh, sorry from 18 months it's about enabling them opportunities to take controlled risks allow them to to fall off the yes, yeah. allow yes. them to, yeah. pl- to to play um, you know on the swing set don't don't shelter them from that yeah. mm-hmm. and then as they sort of crest into the primary years or or nearly pre-primary you're not going to teach a child to meditate but you can certainly teach them coloring in coloring in is a meditation activity as mm. is reading a story out loud as is singing um, a song together those kids aren't thinking about anything else when they're doing that you know, introducing Lego, same principle. And then the older they get, you know, into the primary school years, the more we can incorporate breathing practices. Yeah. Understanding that you can uh, regulate your emotion. When you do feel angry, you'll do irrational things, but being able to center yourself using really basic um, techniques will improve the way that you're seen as a human being. And then as we crest into into senior years, we can start to incorporate the more human tactics and techniques that will contribute to resilience, including playing team sport, including the social interactions, including measured amounts of social media, where the social media Mm -hmm. contributes to you as a human. Full disclosure, there's not much evidence, if any. I look to Ben uh, to interrupt if I'm 
not right <laughs> that social media contributes to resilience. Mm. But it's certainly a fantastic on-ramp to find like-minded people yeah. to yeah. work out, well, what's the organisation I'd love to volunteer with? I've moved new city, where's my yes. like-minded mm. you know, gym mates or walking group or running group mm. or macrame organisation? So all super, super valuable. But yeah, you, you know, you can parent resilient kids. Yeah. And the other, the other part is that it is the genetics bit. We know that resilience is coded inside DNA. Mm -hmm. You know, you can be predisposed to things like depression and anxiety, and it relates to how the parents, how their parents and how their parents mm -hmm. came through life. So, yeah, we can get ahead of that. We can certainly get ahead of, you know, our kids and their kids by incorporating those good practices in our life. You know, to Ben's point, uh, be the great resilience role model in the house. Yeah, I love that. Or down the sporting club or when you're coaching your team mm. or, or in the gym. I love that so much. Yeah. tell the world one thing what would it be i think the ego thing is is a big one you know get over yourself a little bit <laughs> yeah. and I'm, I'm speaking a lot from my own personal experience yeah. it's funny how much um i guess poison we we bring into yeah. our own lives by by getting hung up on our, ourselves um and i think this is again where things like mindfulness practices can can help come in mm. if you're able to get that perspective and and um and just calm yourself a bit through yeah. those sort of things. I, I reckon that would go a long way to, to removing a lot of the angst I, I see on a day-to-day -day basis around me. Mm. And we embrace a poem by James Elroy Flecker um, called The Golden Road to Samarkand. And in that poem, um, a pilgrim talks about going always a little further. That's a great mantra for life. It doesn't matter whether it's in your social life, your professional life, you know, what you do physically on a day-to-day -day mm. basis, but just go always a little further. It's a bit, a bit like embracing that stress. You have options. They confront you multiple times every day. You've got the escalator or the stairs. Yes. You've got the donut. You've got the apple. Going always a little further mm. is just changing those little things that ultimately will improve you as a human. You've... Damn. That... I you like know that. what they're talking about. I like that. <laughs> um, so with the Resilient Shield and um, your book as well, where the projection of that, where, what do you want it to see mm. to happen? Mm. We, I mean, at, at a little micro level, we, we've been just blown away by the, the sort of feedback we've gotten and the, the interactions that this has led to. I mean, we were... What is it now? Six weeks ago, we were in uh, the UK presenting to a large corporate on Canary Wharf. And then the, the sort of next day um, or two days later up in a, a sort of county area of Dub uh, just out of Dublin in Ireland, wow. um, presenting to a, a, a group, a, a fitness based group. And that for us um, has just been amazing that, that sort of this little sort of concept that we came up mm. with could have extended to the point where, where these people invite us over to, to present. Mm. So those connections, I mm. think, are what we're hoping to continue to progress. Um, 
we love the idea that there is so much discussion on resilience. Yeah. Yeah. We love the idea that there's so much good stuff out there. I mean, you look at um, the work uh, Hugh Van Collenberg's doing in the Resilience Project, um, talking about these wonderful concepts of gratitude, empathy, and mindfulness. Um, we are very much looking at this. Um, you know, clearly it's a business, and clearly mm. we're, we're sort of um, doing stuff behind it from a commercial sense, but. It is awesome that there's some awareness getting uh, around and that people are starting to embrace some of these concepts. And for us, whichever vector makes more sense, if it's going to get someone thinking about, Mm. I don't know, meditation or gratitude or eating a bit better or or exercising a bit, whatever it is, um, then, yeah, we're all for it. So we, like I said, are are delighted that it has started to to resonate, that we're getting um, some really good feedback and interaction and that we're starting to help people. And we want to continue to progress that. Mm. I love that. And especially like we um, have spoken to someone who is, you spoke at one of yeah, their, um, the, the conference, at a conference yeah. and like she was almost speechless. She was like, she was like, what they unlocked for me was, was like almost unbelievable. And we're like touching it. And she's like, I can't, we'll have to sit down for so, because, and, and as well, like I think in a workplace, mm. um, like we both work for ourselves, but in a workplace, like having, you know, it's not just like, just do your job, go home. Yeah. If, you're, if your company is investing in you and understanding that each individual person, like you said, has these little vectors that they sit along mm. and they connect, can connect with, then it's like, then that person's strong. It just keeps going. It's yeah, a snowball effect. An and, and like you said, like if you can build resilience in ch- children, those children are going to grow up to be an adult. And if that was they'll lost teach, in that. Yeah. They'll then teach their kids. And it's then like this big yeah. cycle. And <laughs> it's so cool that it's becoming like, like it is... <laughs> Uh, more research in it. I didn't even know yeah. there was so much. I mean, Tim, we, it. We, we talk about the shield as the iconography, and, and Tim's got this beautiful line about the, the shield being for the common good of all. You know, it, it's not just about protecting yourself individually, and, and we think that metaphor carries into developing resilience. You know, if you are more resilient as an individual, you are going to be a better colleague, boss, girlfriend, yes, you know, parent, yep. child, whatever it is. And, and so there's that almost that virtuous circle that can spread around. Mm. We've also had some great fun. I mean, <laughs> with Dan. Yeah. I can only imagine Dan. you guys are... I know, I want to hang out I with I want to have a beer with <laughs> yeah. these guys. Yes. Well, we, we're about to run a retreat on Fitzroy Island in late October. And oh. as I've said to the boys, there can be no one on that retreat that's having more fun than us. That's it, yeah. right? Yeah. We have to have the most <laughs> amount of fun from anyone. Because in, in having fun, in in being a bit playful, yeah. To your point, in, in on the banter in the office and beyond, it, it is it is inspiring us. Um, and and you know, I guess the other thing is the author's journey. Like you, yeah. yeah. Ben talked about ego. You start there definitely. Yeah. You want to have your name on the front cover of a book. Yeah. And you want it to be a bestseller. But the deeper we go into this journey, the more we realise that that story that you've told about someone who's like, whoa. Mm. Now I know where to start. Yeah. Yeah. Now I know, um, you know, I've assessed my resilience and what I can do about it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I do genuinely uh, tell people that if only one person ever bought this book, but that person raced up to us in the street yeah. and said, this has changed my life or this has saved my life, that's the reason why the book's been yeah. written. Yeah. And, you know, we, we've had... We've had thousands and thousands of interactions like that yeah this book has changed my life this book has saved my life which mm-hmm. is tragic in itself yeah but uh, such such heartwarming stuff yeah. i mean and so, and some of our really fun moments were 
well, are, are going to a book club. Book clubs read the book. They yeah. say, hey, would you come and have a glass of Chardonnay and talk yeah. about the book? Yes. We turn up. It's an all-women all book club. <laughs> and you just get grilled. And, and they, and they kind of love the book. Yes. And, yeah, and it kind of disproves in many ways. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It disproves in many ways that it's just a book for blokes. Mm. Um, and in fact, you know, little, little vignettes um, about, you know, a, a, a lady talking about reading the book she'd actually bought the book for a husband who was having uh, his own struggle got back home and, and opened it and read the first few pages and then palmed him away so get away I'm reading the book first he got captivated in in some of the stories and importantly also that they're not just our stories we yeah. tell the stories of people from all walks of life um you know, from Harry Harris, the cave diver, rescuing mm. the Thai yep. uh, junior soccer yes. team through yeah, through to many others who have, have made their way through mm. mental health illness. Uh, Emily Skye, who people mm. look at, oh, she's a fitness influencer. Mm. She's famous for being famous. But you don't see the backstory of the struggle. Yeah, all of these, all of these things just create this this rich narrative. And and nearly anyone that interacts with the survey or interacts with the book can really identify with the the, pe- the people in the book. Mm-hmm. But if you hold the survey at arm's length, you can identify that. Yep, yeah, that's pretty much me. Mm. You guys are honestly incredible and doing such incredible work and we can't wait to even see some fun on the uh, on the retreat you are doing. But before we do go, um, we normally just play a little game. It's a little fast five questions. Um, mm-hmm. Basically, we're just going to reel them off and you guys just have to have to answer them as quickly as you can, okay? Good stuff. Okay, first is introvert or extrovert? Absolute borderline centre, gusting introvert as I get older. <laughs> oh, that's BS. He's more down the introverted scale. <laughs> and I know that because we've both had psychological tests done of us. And I'm completely in the middle, 50-50. I love my solitude, but I also love company. Yeah, okay. Guilty pleasure. It would be probably 90s pop and particularly boy bands and, and sort of... <laughs> You know, my man. <laughs> <laughs> and what's yours, Tim? I once, in fact, there's a funny story. I, I, I was once in a gym, a deployed gym. So it's a real, imagine a rustic, you know, tough guy, sort of SAS, Special Forces gym in the yep. middle of um, <laughs> Timor. And, you know, so we, people shirts off, lifting, you know, big dudes with tats, this sort of scene. And there was no music. And I, I plugged my iPod in and, and put my playlist on forgetting that guilty pleasure <laughs> that I just mentioned. And the first tune's like, you know, Bulls on Parade, Rage or yeah, whatever. It's, nice. a, it's, you know, scene appropriate. And then on comes um, Baby One More Time yes. or something <laughs> like that. And, of course, everyone had seen me plug the thing in. I've, I've got nowhere to go. And so like, yeah, wasn't me. I just had to own it. And, yeah, no, no, I, did, I, I, um, I got some very interesting looks. Oh. My guilty pleasure, and we don't advocate this in the Resilient Shield, but we have an office in our bar and I, I love having a drink with our crew um, you know cracking a cracking a beer and yep. um, at the end of a day just having a chat it's, it's probably one of my guilty pleasures I love that mm. I love that uh, what's one thing to instantly make your day better mm. I, I do think meditation I know I'm banging that drum but um, 
Yeah, I, I, my daily sort of meditation practice, um, well, when I say daily, if, if I get it in every couple of days, it's about average. Um, but I love Wim Hof breathing. I think mm-hmm. there's something about manipulating your breath that can really do good things. And then just um, a, a period of, of sort of mindfulness or even transcendental meditation, which I've got introduced through uh, by Tim. But that, it's, it's, it's still a paradox for me because there are days where I know I need it, but I can't seem to find the time. Mm even though it would make more time. You know, it's a stupid thing. But when I do it, it instantly makes my day better. Mm. Yeah, I'm going to parrot that. It's I, I practice Vedic meditation. I, I went and did the course because I didn't believe in it. Yeah. I was very sceptical. And then I asked myself the question, well, what are you afraid of? Mm. Go, go and be involved in it. But that absolutely makes every day better for me. It makes my life better. I've got more focus, more clarity. I can pay attention. I remember things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, you know, my working memory's far improved. Ben might doubt that. <laughs> um, and, and, you know, I think my interactions with those people that I care for and love um, are, are, are much richer. Yeah. So, yeah, w- without question, it's, it's meditation. Um, and I'm, I'm try and practice it every day. I meditate most days, but don't always get it right. Mm. And that's kind of okay. And, and your point, Emily, about... You know, meditation being this odd thing, you close your eyes, you have these racing thoughts. That's also okay. Mm. I mean, um, a meditation teacher of mine who's done some work with us, Erin, says, just kind of surf the thoughts mm. and, and ask yourself the question, why am I thinking that? Is that a rational, logical yeah. thought? It's, that's kind of okay. It, it's, it's the point of examining or being curious about who you are and, and what's making you tick. Mm. Um, yeah, so meditation. I think as well, though, sorry, just quickly on that meditation, um, we end up like I I remember before I started meditating um thinking that a I couldn't do it and b I was meant Mm. to be completely still like I wasn't allowed to even Mm. have thoughts and if I had thoughts coming in my head when I'm meditating it's wrong or I didn't do it right (laughs) that sort of self-compassion and self-forgiveness is is a wonderful thing I think you get from meditation same you, you stop beating yourself up about that and and again, linked to that idea about ego, you know, letting go this idea of being perfect, yes. yeah. thinking, trying to be seen to be perfect. Um, they're, they're all intertwined practices. Mm. If, if, I, if you're in my head this morning, Emily, <laughs> you would just see just the most irrationally logical <laughs> thoughts. And I'm not an experienced meditator. I still have to work through. Yeah. But, you know, I'm, I'm, trying to, I'm trying to focus on, you know, transcending to think about nothing and then in, in pops that don't forget a mask because you're going to have to catch public transport to see a client today. You've got yeah. to pack a mask. Yep. I'm like, okay, acknowledge the thought. Yes. Oh, also, <laughs> you've got to get that email across to across to the accountant before yes. nine. Okay, right. Acknowledge the thought. <sighs> it's just this constant struggle. Yeah. Uh, but but in in many ways, I mean, now that I say it out loud, it's logical. Yeah. Our brain's trying to keep us safe. Exactly. Uh, so therefore, in many ways, it's very defendable, those thoughts. But there are many that aren't, you know. So, yeah, it's it's good fun just surfing the thoughts. Mm. I like that, surfing the thoughts. Well, we've had the absolute pleasure of chatting to you. Where can people find your book, get onto the Resilient Shield, follow you, listen to you, plug yourself away? <laughs> yep. Uh, the Resilient Shield is available in all good bookshops and probably some of the crap ones too. <laughs> um, you can find out more about us at resilientshield.com. In that same location, you can also take our resilient survey. As I mentioned, it's free, it's private, it's confidential, yeah. and it's administered in conjunction with the University of Western Australia. We've got a shop at the website. You can buy author signed copies of the book there. We'll inscribe them 
if you wanted to give them as a gift. Mm. We've got our own resilience journal, mm. which is all about um, encoding good habits mm. and a variety of other things, including information on our resilience retreat on Fitzroy Island, 27 to 30 October, where we're trying to make people the best versions of them that we possibly can, but also ensuring the transferability of a lot of the techniques into what they do as a parent, as Mm. a friend, Mm. and as a work colleague. And socials. We do actually have a social media presence, thanks to Tim. Yeah, uh, so at Resilient Shield, um, pretty much on all of the socials, exactly the same. Mm -hmm. At Resilient Shield on Instagram, on Facebook. I look at Ben, he'll cringe. Also on TikTok. Yes. Beautiful. That's what you need to be doing. Prominent. (laughs) <laughs> yeah. It is, um, and on and on LinkedIn. So we yeah. we push some reasonable content and some tactics and techniques on those platforms. Try and keep them in really simplified form. Yeah. But if you if you're viewing those things, you can absolutely know that it's grounded in research. So we give you the tactic. You don't need to know the back the backstory. We've done all the heavy lifting on reading the literature. Just employ these little things in your life. Tim and Ben, we have had the absolute pleasure of having you on this episode today. Thank you so much and have a great day. Yeah, have the best day. Appreciate you both. Thanks. No, I love it. Thanks, guys. Really appreciate it. Well, pick my jaw up off the floor. (laughs) (laughs) That was... How are you feeling? I'm feeling good. I feel like I honestly need to lie down and just think about some stuff because it kind of it kind of got to me interesting so bit. it actually really like there was a I lot just, of things i still thought away. i was like not like i thought i was like this big strong tough guy because it's not about what you look like that you're resilient but mm-hmm. i still thought i was like should i been through a bit and people mm-hmm. i think a lot of people have told me that i've been through a lot yes and so they think then i'm like yeah i've been through you know not like i'm a victim mentality no. at all but you know what i mean no, like, I oh, actually damn, do. it must have been hard for you being through a lot and i was like yeah so doing i did the uh the test, the survey mm. on the Re- Resilient Shield got 60% thought it'd be higher. Found out it was actually not a bad score. Exactly. So. And also, like, it's funny, isn't it? Because, like, when we get validated, like, no, that wasn't a bad score. We're like, ah, I can breathe again. Yeah, so Whereas, like, it kind of, like the, the boys said, like, it really didn't matter what your score was. If your score was 20%, mm. it's nothing to get down on and about yourself. It's just like, okay, how, what, if you look at my life, what does that look like? Where am I implementing yeah. strategies X, Y, Z? And it's like, oh, okay, I just need to, to implement here or in integrate In little tiny here. pockets. I like that. They've got like these little six vectors that you can tune, fine-tune and just increase those little parts totally. of resilience. So, If you could take one thing away from this episode, what would it be? Man, their description of resilience. I thought resilience was purely just overcoming like adversity. Mm. But the way they described it was an outcome better than what you thought it would be, mm. which is so cool. Like if you're going through a hard time, it's it's – an outcome that you thought you're like, I don't think I can do this. And then you do it. You're like, ah. Oh. And how many times have we said that? We're like, I don't think this is going to happen. Yeah. And it happens. Yeah. And it's like that little voice inside. But each time it is like that little bit of grit that you add to yourself. You're like, no, yeah, you I can do this little bit of self-belief. Yeah. You ultimately, yeah, it's, it's, it's a cycle. It's a cycle.
Now to the debrief. We try to go always a little further in this podcast and greatly appreciate your input. Please let us know your feedback, the good, the bad, or the ugly. Also, if you know someone who is living a life less ordinary, we'd love to hear about them. You can get in touch at debrief at unforgiving60.com. That's debrief at unforgiving60.com. If you have enjoyed this podcast, please tell your friends and write a review for us on Apple Podcasts. Until next episode, keep filling your unforgiving minutes with 60 seconds worth of distance run. See you next time on The Unforgiving 60. Square.